Hello and welcome to the Aaron Kendra Art Podcast, Episode 3, an interview with Ethan Yazel. Goal of this podcast is to keep it short and sweet, keep the listeners engaged, and hopefully learn what you want to know from your favorite artists. Today we are talking to Ethan Yazel. Ethan is a background painter for TV animation currently living in Indiana. Ethan attended the University Ball State, a small state school in central Indiana. Ethan's professional career started as an animation assistant on an animated short called Claire and the Keys, but recently has worked on Netflix's The Get Down and The Adventures of Kid Danger on Nickelodeon. If you haven't heard of Ethan yet, well you will soon. Ethan has been working on a short film for the last two years titled Agent Bird, and has had to keep a lot of what he's been doing under wraps. This is due to submitting his film to film festivals. Ethan and I know each other purely through Instagram, where I asked for some information on how to submit films to film festivals, of which Ethan was very nice to oblige. You can check Ethan out on basically every single platform you can think of, Instagram, Twitter, Twitch, at Ethan Burnsides. So that's enough chit-chat. Here's everything you could ever want to know about submitting stuff to film festivals and just a great chat with my friend Ethan. Let's go! Hey there, everybody. Today I'm sitting down with Ethan Yazel. Is that how you say your last name? Yep. Yep, you got it right there. Yes. Knocked it out of the park on a complete guess. Uh, how's it going, bud? It's going well. Keeping uh, keeping busy. Trying to, at least. How are you? Uh, I'm doing pretty darn well. Woke up a little bit ago. Uh, have have some coffee right next to me, so still <laughs> still kind of waking up a little bit. Yeah, it's early morning for you. Yeah, uh, the uh, the time difference isn't so bad, Like, but... Uh, <laughs> But anyway, we're gonna we're gonna jump into some more uh, some more serious questions right now. All right, man. So uh, you've been working on this project called Agent Bird for a little while. Do you want to uh, give everyone out there kind of the rundown of what you're doing? Yeah. So Agent Bird is a, a short film project I started uh, I think early spring 2017, and um, it's a it's just a two minute short. So it's really not that it's not that big of a project. But it, it took us about a year to get completed because we we're the the people I'd helping me and the and myself are working full time at some other jobs. So, but now it's it's all wrapped up, everything's finished, and we're sending it off to festivals. Dude, that is super impressive. Um, so I mean, two minutes is still nothing to laugh at to get you know a full production done in a year. Like, how was yeah? It's, how did like scheduling go? How did like the whole production like? Can you give like a little bit more insight as to like how how that went? Yeah, so it started out with um, I had the, I had the animatic and the storyboard done. It was an idea I had uh, in college, and so that was all pretty well figured out. And then I started. I actually picked up my uh, first animation industry job, air quotes there, with um, <laughs> with uh, the Get Down on Netflix. I had seen a post somebody had shared on Facebook. They were looking for background designers, and I was like, oh, you know, I'll I'll, I'll shoot my portfolio that way. Um, so I, I just come off a of production on that and I had learned a whole bunch of stuff and I didn't want to slow down in between work. So I just jumped right into taking the storyboards from agent bird and then starting to polish off backgrounds. Everything else was the story wise was set. And so the backgrounds was a good place for me to kind of meld back into production on my own and, and get going with that. You know, that's a piece of information that I always tell younger artists is that you just need to kind of make work for yourself in your downtime. So animation production, it requires like a lot of artist power to make an animated short. Uh, how many people did you have helping you out after you had locked down your storyboards? That was the main person I had helping was uh, my girlfriend at Paisley Drawers, uh, Paisley Hansen there on, on Instagram. And I mean, she went through and by the end of it, she had animated 
half, if not a little bit more of the entire of the entire two minutes. Like she, as soon as the backgrounds were done and we were ready, she helped me polish off uh, a character design that wasn't quite there um, for the cat. And then she just jumped right into animation and started running. Um, and then we had some help from Otler Mac. Um, and then uh, Alec Arts, Alec Durant helped us out a bit too on the animation. So it was, it was pretty small. And then I had a, I had a friend uh, work on music for me, an old friend that went to music school. So it's it a pretty small production. <laughs> yeah, no, then, absolutely. Was it like your first time actually like starting to like manage people, like a small team or anything? Yeah. In school, I had some experience with some class projects on things, but yeah, nothing on the scale of we we're all in this and like, this is, this is all we have. We're all in the same boat and, and that's it. So it's definitely eye opening on that. Uh, it's it's a lot of work that you don't think about, uh, especially when it comes to managing things like animation production on its own is a whole lot of work, a lot of which I didn't really see until I started trying to manage a project. Yeah, absolutely. There were things that I would think about uh, in my head and I would have sketched out of, of what I needed to do. But then I also needed to figure out a, an easy way to convey that to people and and then kind of transcribe my my brain stream out into into something that we could all digest and figure out yeah absolutely so the reason that i uh contacted you about doing this interview is that you and i had chatted briefly on instagram about the life of submitting a short film or a film in general to film festivals yeah we had talked about how this is you know some of the information about this is a little hard to find and that people hold a lot of this like pretty close to their chest so we're gonna uh uh, hopefully kind of crack the pandora's box of what it's like to submit to film festivals. So do you want to like go through like how things are going right now or like your process of what's uh, been going on? Yeah, yeah. So for on the festival side of things, I've got a list of about 40 or so festivals uh, that we're planning to submit to. Um, some are free, some are paid depending on the city um, and, the, and the kind of uh, the place I'm going, the areas I'm going for there. Um, we're shooting for about a 40% acceptance rate in total on things, um, just based on some other shorts that we've worked on. And so the the way some more experienced friends have looked at it and, and they're kind of forecasting a hopeful, uh, acceptance rate there. Um, when it comes to like submitting to festivals, it's, it's really weird because the festivals make money no matter what mm-hmm. on on the submission so they, they want you to submit so you've got to kind of balance wanting to get it in places and then wanting to uh keep up kind of a i don't know how to describe it like a rapport about your film uh, so one thing that i i had learned kind of going through festivals is there there there'll be um like like in georgia georgia is one of my targets that's where we're looking at moving um, some job opportunities down there there are, there are free festivals like in Atlanta and Savannah, but then there are also paid festivals. So if you, if you submit to like a free festival, it's kind of faux pas in this, to submit to a free festival in the same city as there's a paid festival. So you want to try to prioritize because the paid festivals are usually larger and have more, more kind of clout with people. So there's, there's a bunch of little faux pas and things that in, involved in the process that you don't really learn about until you you talk to somebody who's done it before or you do it yourself and kind of learn over the course of several submissions yeah and like i can tell you i mean i've i've yet to ever you know try to make a production that would yield me submitting to something and like you said you don't know until you've actually done it yeah it's a it's a whole nother world 
uh, compared to like posting something online. You post something online, it gets some likes, it gets some retweets, and then it just kind of disappears. But when it comes to something like a, a short film, you can put it online and you can go through that same like and share process, but then it just kind of fizzles out. But with a short film, you've put all of this time into producing the thing and you finish and you're so excited to share it with people, but you can't just yet. You've got to hold on to it then for another year, year and a half cycle of keeping it kind of under wraps. It's a real slow burn when it comes to getting a little recognition for what you've done. Yeah. Can you explain like what the actual uh, like thought process is behind like why you have to not share it online like while you're submitting it to film festivals? Because it's something I've never quite understood. Yeah. So the festivals, like they they make, you know, you pay your submission uh, for your film and they, they make some money there. But then they also use the submissions that they accept to bring in ticket sales like a normal theater would for, for a blockbuster. So they want some kind of exclusivity with your short film and your product that they're going to be then marketing and, and sharing with the public. So they there are some festivals that are really strict about it. They don't want any online viewings at all. And then there's some that'll be more loose and it's like less than 100, less than 500, less than 1,000 kind of thing set up. And that's usually all in the documentation. And that's a whole other thing is one festival have a rule. And then you've got to make sure that it lines up with another festival's rule. Otherwise, you're just disqualified right out the bat. And you're out that submission fee, which is kind of a bummer. (laughs) Yeah, that absolutely is. So, like, I guess that does make sense to not even bother trying to put it anywhere. So you might as well just make sure you're safe on all fronts across the. Yeah, across the board. So, like, I had followed some of um, the Ooblets game development. And they talk a bit some on their Patreon about... uh, with I think they some of the effect of public development where they share what they're doing and and how they're doing certain things. Now they they can't release the whole thing like a beta key to the public or anything because they still got to keep it under wraps. But I kind of saw that and and was reading what they were writing and tried to adapt it to what I was doing. So even though I couldn't share the whole thing, I shared quite a bit of the development of the film. So like we would do a couple weekly streams on Twitch where it'd be animating or painting or compositing or coloring and that kind of thing. And so I, I really structured our production to where I could still share a little bit without giving away too much. So when it came to uh, like when we got to animation, I had uh, pretty much act three, we didn't show any of because I mean, it's, it's two minutes. So like the last 45 seconds or yeah. so nobody's seen. <laughs> except the people have seen the whole thing, but I was able to cut up little bits and pieces of some short shots and some stills rendered out that were able to be used as publicity material without giving away the whole thing. So I was able to to work in a way to drum up a little attention for the project without breaking any uh, festival unspoken rule kind of things. So I didn't kind of screw myself up at that end of things. Well, it sounds like you you did your research and you actually knew, you know, what things that you should or shouldn't do. Um, You had mentioned uh, pretty quickly that, uh, you know, like if you mess up on this, that you might end up, you know, missing out on the fee that you had paid to submit. Like, can you describe just like the range or like your budget allocation that you did for submitting to film festivals? Yeah. So originally when I when I had finished, I uh just kind of sat on the film for a couple days, just kind of relaxing and kind of letting out a large breath after production had ended. And 
in my head, I was bouncing around the idea of two hundred dollars. I was like, okay, if I, I'll I'll say I can I can I can throw two hundred dollars out the window and see what that does. And and I talked to a few friends who had helped I had helped on other short films and other projects and things. And then they're like, no, no, you've got to you've got to submit to more. You got to you've you've got to submit this to more than two hundred dollars worth. Uh, your your average festival fee. I mean, you have you'll have some free ones. You'll have some five dollar ones, um, but a lot of them are going to be between thirty and thirty five for the average. Uh, there'll be some that are seventy five or eighty. Um, those are going to be like your Academy Award qualifying films. Um, you've got overseas film festivals that are like like the Melbourne International one. I think its early bird rates are like seventy five, eighty five dollars just for your submission. And that's like no guarantee. Like you're just, you're, you're pushing that out. Uh, so after I'd gone through my list and kind of curated suggestions and, and where I wanted to send the film, the budget came out to around $800 um, for the year to do this. Now it's, it's weird. Like $800 right out front seems like a chunk of change. Like that's, that's rent. That's a, that's car insurance, you know, that's a doctor's bill or whatever. Uh, but when you think about the time that you've put into, especially animation and short films on that side of things, like you're putting in a lot of time, you're putting in a lot of other people's time. And when it comes around to festival submission, that is that is putting your money where your mouth is. Like you can work on production and and talk about making something all you want. Uh, but until you you back it with, you know, some cash money, people aren't going to take you as seriously until you start putting like a monetary investment into it. And that shows that you're serious about it. That shows that you believe in it. It is kind of, it's a hard pill to swallow, but as you start to swallow it, it, it gets easier. Um, and you start recognizing the the worth behind it. You're not just throwing the money out, even if it doesn't get in, you know, you're still getting in front of people and seeing what people think. Yeah, well, I mean, it's like that you're investing in yourself, right? Like you put yeah. in your effort and time. So why wouldn't you make sure that the maximum amount of an audience is going to see your thing? Exactly. And like it's like a um, one friend put it like the getting in front of the right people. Like you can put it online and cast a huge wide net. But film festivals are like just a single fishing lure out. And you're just you're looking for a real specific fish. No, that's a really good way to put it. Thank you. <laughs> right now, here at the end of March, we're at about $600 invested in, in short films. So a lot of them, a lot of the festivals are going to be in the um, summer and fall. So their submission deadlines are towards the early spring. So we were able to hit a large number of the festivals right off the bat. And then here towards the summer, it'll be kind of slower investments over the months. Nice. So, I mean, I was recently talking to a friend who is working on a short film project right now, too. Uh, his name is Amos Sussigan, and he's uh, run a couple of short films before, and he's had them submitted to film festivals. And when I inquired to him about, you know, a budget for submitting, he uh, he very politely opened my eyes as to, like, the amount of money that you have to put in. He's like, oh, yeah. yeah, like I had to find an agent that would represent me to put forth the money to do this. He's like, it was like $10,000 or something just ridiculous. And I was like, oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. If you like the original, the original list that I had compiled and had all the pricing set for was going to be like close to $2,000. And I was just like, I wanted to be able to send it off, but I had to really focus in on, on what I could do with it. And and as things go through the year, I'm going to try to pick up some more. But the $800 was like the initial 
investment I could put in for a first round. It's weird. It's it's like um, I mean, when you get down to festival submissions, you get away from being an artist and and being a creator, and you get to be the business side of things now. And it it makes total sense why it's hard to do because as creative people, we we kind of zone in on one thing or the other. That is correct. But when it comes to to festivals and marketing and, and trying to fund this thing. You've got to you've got to really cut out your passion and how much you love what you're making and turn it into how are we going to do this physically with numbers? Yes. Um. So one follow up to that, I know that you had said that you were uh, using Patreon to you know kind of catalog some things and to get people engaged in your product. Um. Is that something that you would have used as well for like raising funds for submission fees to films or um? Yeah. Can you just like talk a little bit about the Patreon use for your project? Yeah, so I'm I'm a relatively small um, internet artist. I don't have a huge following or anything, uh, but I've always seen Patreon as an interesting place to put forth what I'm doing with the option of uh, patronage through things. I thought that was a, a really nice pricing model, regardless of the the fluctuation they've gone through here recently. Still a, a nice little hub that's that's free to put up without without worrying about any of the back end kind of things. So for me, Patreon was a place where I could host a stream of Agent Bird content so I could have a, a pseudo catalog of what I've been doing because something that you've wanted to talk about some is the press kit. Once you get into uh, festival submissions, you need a press kit. So right off the bat, I wanted a place where I could have a stream of thoughts and images of production where I could I could keep it behind a limited paywall so I knew it wasn't super public going back to the the festivals and their limited viewership that they want. But I could also raise a little money and a little interest with it all in one spot. Um, you know, people use Kickstarter for the same thing or, or Indiegogo. Mm-hmm. Um, but the way I saw it, I, I didn't have the reach. So I started building that before um, I really had any audience for the project. I think that is a super good way to like go about it. Like you just said, like you're a pretty small artist and you talked about you know when you put something out online that you're kind of casting this net but if you're yeah. casting a pretty small net you're only going to get a small return so i think that you made the right choice in trying to like build your audience very slowly very methodically as opposed to thinking that it's just going to happen yeah i mean you can you can want as much as you want for people to like and see your thing but there's so many people out there and i'm not i'm not grumpy about it it's just kind of a a, a fact a fact yeah. of of how yeah of how things works like i really want people to see this but i can only get in front of so many people and recognizing that early on i think really helped us kind of work with the scope of of the project and not get our hopes and dreams in front of what could actually be done when we got down to brass tacks yeah uh so you just mentioned scope uh when i sent you the questions uh yesterday you had done a really good job of describing the scope of whatever you were going to make into like well i it was gonna be two characters and it's going to be two backgrounds or like two areas so i know yeah like how much and how much time and effort i'm gonna have to make this can you just describe a little bit about how scope impacted what you wanted to make well for like i think i touched on a little bit earlier we wanted uh like Paige and i wanted something that we could work on in between work to where we could say you know we weren't getting paid and you know it's not like a it's not a show credit or anything but we're still making this thing but we wanted it to to be a scale that 
we could pick up and put down as our day jobs required, but also at the end would yield something possible. So we had bounced around a few ideas on things and a couple of the other ideas that we were running with was, it was just too much. It was, there are a lot of unanswered questions on, on story. Like story is so important when it comes to making your own short film. It's like, if you can get that nailed down, if you can hit that initial story deadline and accept that you're not going to change something, you're going to keep it tight, then, you know, I think that's a good first step into focusing on the scope of your project. Uh, so Agent Bird is, it's two minutes. Like it's, I don't know, however, however many frames that is. Um, there are two environments, an exterior and an interior. And then the two characters. It's a, there's simple designs. The backgrounds I had set up to, to work on a layer structure. Nothing's on one layer painting. So if I had to go in and fix something later, it was just an easy adjust a layer, fix a mask, boom, ship it. Um, and it's kind of a, like in, in some programming circles or in game development, they stock, they talk about Scrum as a, as a project management thing. Um, and I'd kind of adapted that a bit into understanding what can happen with a project and, and where and when and how things can get off the rails. So I'd always tried to anticipate things happening. Uh, like I would be driving around um, just after we had started Agent Bird production. I had just had um, carpal tunnel surgery on my arm and I was going back and forth to like physical therapy and things. So like wow. car time was was thinking time. Like I was just in the back of my head, I always had, okay, shots 35 to 40 there's going to be you know the atmospheric effects there i need to figure out like i'm not a compositing wizard but i need to figure out how i can do them and do them the way i want them without trying to learn a whole new program right off the bat i feel like i'm, I'm kind of rambling here but a, a lot of it was figuring out and recognizing where problems were going to be and not ignoring them until they had to be addressed it was like okay i'm painting backgrounds i know how to paint backgrounds i can sit here and paint backgrounds in the show style or in the in the film style but be thinking in the back of my head okay how are we going to do the animation how are we going to do these props and um with bird there we we thought about trying to rig puppets in toon boom we had a friend that made a, a test puppet for us and she had worked on but it just came back to there were things in the storyboard that we couldn't do with the puppet. It was going to be more work trying to figure out the puppet. So we're just like, okay, scrap that. We know animation is going to take a little bit longer. We're going to have to hand draw everything. It's just going to be faster than trying to learn how to, to work a rig and things. So it's, I think, right off, like starting recognizing where problems could arise and recognizing the things you don't know and start researching those things just right off the bat. You know, anytime you have a break, where you're doing something that's not taking up your brain, thinking about that kind of thing. Like the the reason I wanted to talk about that is because I think that that is one of the biggest issues that people face when they want to make something that is their own, is that they're incredibly ambitious and they don't identify the problems up front. And then they, when they run into them, it can be enough to make them not want to work on that thing anymore. Like when I was in school, we had, you know, you you'd, your end of the year project would be a short film or whatever you'd have to make. And kids would pitch these like six minute shorts and they're supposed to finish it in two semesters and it never got done. They would hardly get through pre-production, let alone animation and everything else involved with it. So I think it's a really good thing to for people to be aware of when they want to start their own thing. Yeah, that's something we talked about a lot. Uh, Pace and I both worked on our first real production was a short film called Claire and the Keys. And it was the director's like main thing he's like he's a, he's a professor now um and we had kind of seen 
Like that was his big chunk of what he wanted to be doing uh, at the, at the time. He's on to different things now, of course. But for us, Agent Bird was in a way disposable. Like it sounds weird, like oh, you're dedicating two years of your life and how much money to this thing, but and you call it disposable. But it's not. It's not my magnum opus. It's not the last thing I'm going to make. It's the first thing I'm like dedicated two years to and I'm putting out there. And I think that's, I, I agree completely. That that's something that is hard to recognize early on because you're like, okay, I want to make this thing for me. It's going to be all mine. We're just going to, we're just going to run. We can make anything. But when you start looking at the physics of time and, and money, you've got to really focus in on what can we actually do? What are we going to get done in a timely manner? That's not going to pull our hair. Yeah. Out? I think that you, absolutely made the right choice <laughs> yeah I, was, I mean is it is it incredible no but we still enjoyed making it and we're real happy with the result and, and we're getting some good reception from things yeah i think that's something that also people need to take away is that you should have just some level of enjoyment when doing it it's not supposed to be that stressful like yeah it can be a little stressful but you should still be happy about what you're making you should still realize that you are creating something and that you are lucky enough to be creating something yeah, at the end of the day, we're still sitting here making cartoons. You got that which, right. Like, like that's one thing I brought up when we would uh, be streaming production and things, and things would get stressful. Like, if you told five-year-old me that you know, twenty years down the road, you'd be making your own cartoon, it would just blow five-year-old Ethan's mind. Yes, absolutely. So I always try to think about things like that. Positive. <laughs> I think I need to like print that out, get it framed, and like put it up on my wall next to me for whenever you know I'm beating my head against something, but like. Aaron, you're still making cartoons. Ah, oh, fine. Okay. Everything's great. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> so one uh, other quick thing that you had, uh, that we had talked about briefly is that you had used this like aggregate website that submits to a bunch of things for you. Yeah. So that's something I had no idea existed um, before I had started uh, going through all this. And that's something a few friends before that brought up to me. Cause like I said, like we said earlier, like there's n- very little documentation that's easily accessible about film submissions. So in my head, I was preparing for, you know, hundreds of different accounts and and websites and trying to scour all this stuff and building spreadsheet systems to categorize everything. But um, there are actually a couple main festival aggregation sites where festivals put up their put up their festival and their requirements, and you can submit to them all at once, pay once, see all the requirements for things. Um, so the main two are without a box and film freeway. And those are, if there are others, I have not found them, (laughs) (laughs) but there's more festivals on there than you could ever, ever want to submit between both of them. A lot of festivals, depending on the size are going to be on both because they're, they're trying to get as many films and as much content as they can. Uh, but there'll be some that are on one or the other, depending on their partnership dealings behind the scenes. Uh, Without a Box is owned by Amazon, and they're they're a little bit larger. They're uh, they're a partner with IMDb. So when you make your submission with Without a Box, I mean this is all it's all free to get your project on there. Uh, but through Without a Box, you can set up an IMDb page. You can uh, set up IMDb credits. So if if you look at uh, IMDb and search Agent Bird. Everything should be in there. The last time I checked, it was uh, with with who helped us on on what and things. Um, but then at the end of your festival cycle, you can start uh, working through the documentation with Amazon to stream your film through Amazon Prime and actually receive a trickle of revenue over time. Yeah, so that's something I had no idea of 
that even existed, but that's a, that's a one pathway on on how to kind of get a little bit back for your project down the road. Wow. Yeah. I mean, like it's not captured because this is like a podcast type scenario, but in the camera you could see my head tilting <laughs> like my eyes widen like, "Wait, you can get it on there? What?" Yeah. So, man. Yeah. It's without a box is kind of the the elephant in the room when it comes to festival submission. A lot of the big festivals are exclusively with them. They have a lot of advertising, a lot of a lot of clout in in the festival ring. Film Freeway is from my understanding now you know, you can quote me on on any of this stuff, but it's just kind of my understanding of this whole system as as a newcomer into it. Uh, Film Freeway is a bit of an underdog compared to Without a Box. They aren't owned by one of the largest companies in the world. <laughs> They're just kind of a <laughs> smaller group. And depending on, on who you listen to and who you talk to, they might be seen as less professional, kind of scrappy underdog kind of situation, but they still have a lot of festivals that you can submit to and with whether or not you submit on without a box or film freeway what's important is that you submit your you submit your project regardless and the prices are going to be the same on either there might be some weird instances where one has a promo code or a discount that the other doesn't for some kind of limited time Um, but generally the prices are going to be the same across the board so it comes down to you picking who you want to work with on that end of things um, and there, there have been times where I've had some money scrolled away in PayPal. So I'll, I'll use film freeway or I put something on my debit card and I'll use without a box, you know, so it, it's just kind of, it's a, it's a good way to balance. If you're worried about, uh, like corporate monopolies on things, there are <laughs> options <laughs> when it comes to that kind of thing, to submitting your cartoons, weirdly enough, of course. Uh, but there, there are some. There, there are options there. The great thing about using those sites is that it's easy to schedule and it's easy to organize. So you can go in there on each, on both sites and you can aggregate your own watch list and set up, I want to be emailed when the deadline for this festival is a week away. And then, so you can go through, you can, on the weekend, you can go through and, and start watching 100, 200 festivals and you'll start getting notifications when those are ready to go. So you don't have to try to keep track of everything on your own. There's a bit of an automated process there to make sure that you're in the loop and it takes away so much stress. Like I sent you a copy of my uh, spreadsheets that I've got set up for Agent Bird. And before I had started using these sites, I was trying to keep track of these dates and I've got a big physical calendar in my office here and I've got things on sketchbooks and the spreadsheets trying to keep track of, (laughs) of when I need to have something sent off, but it's super nice to wake up in the morning and know, okay, I need to submit to these three festivals this week and get that spaced out. Yeah, and it also probably prevents you from having that like uh, detective murderer like strings across like yeah. <laughs> the <laughs> the wall type scenario. Definitely, yeah. Oh man, it takes away a lot of the pressure. Yeah, no, that's really good. So you had mentioned that you know you've completed the small little project, and you you said that it's not your magnum opus. Like, what's what's next for you after this whole film submission thing has uh, come come to an end? So we're looking at relocating out of Indiana uh, because there's not a whole lot of work here. And so we're heading down to Atlanta uh, this summer, hopefully in May or so. We'll see how that goes. But uh, we're kind of hoping to dive into real production, TV animation kind of things um, and kind of coast on when it comes to personal projects. It's gonna, I'm not 
swearing off of making short films, but it's going to be a little bit before I try to run my own again. Um, Paisley's got a couple stories in the works that we've been working on the story side of things. Um, but when it comes to full-fledged independent production, we're, t- we're taking a little breather. Well, it's kind of like you've been in a relationship, right? And you have to, you need time to heal after all the work. Yeah, exactly. Like it's, it's not as large as uh, like network work on, on scale wise, but definitely when it's, when it's done, like February 2nd, the morning I had finished the final um, render of with the, with the sound and the music and everything. It was just like a, a mag, just a enormous weight off your chest. It's like all of a sudden you have to, you have to stop. Yeah. You've got to slow down and, and you're no longer gunning for this goal. You've got to reset and look at the next one. Man, that is a, an absolutely like breathtaking thing to hear that like all that work that goes into it. Like you finally do have that feeling and moment of like, I've done it. Like yeah. I'm complete. This is it. Yeah. I mean, for, for us, it was a whole, it was a whole year of, of nonstop working on this one thing. I mean, if like looking at my Instagram or my sketchbooks, like it was a lot of agent bird oriented stuff and you spend even just a year working on one project and then it's done and you don't, really know what to do with yourself. It's like a, a post project depression yeah. kind of period that you just kind of, you're aimless. Like you no longer have to draw this cartoon bird. And it's just like, <laughs> what do I do with myself? It's kind of a, a refinding of yourself as an artist after you get off production. Um, so I know down in Atlanta, there's uh what bento box, the animation studio. Yeah. There's, yeah, there's bento box, uh, Floyd County primal screen, uh, there's a few smaller game studio kind of things. Um, a lot of uh, education animation now, which is kind of weird. Uh, TV production used to be a huge majority of it uh, in Atlanta, but now it's shifting a lot towards. There's still the the um, there's still the animate the TV animation production stuff, yeah. but it's it's shifting towards more uh, a lot more educational. Hmm, interesting. Um, I mean, I I do remember there being you know, like the centralized hubs of where everyone was going to go after school, and it was like, all right. Yeah. The advertising or motion graphics kids were going to go to LA or New York. And then yeah. it's like, uh, well, there's Atlanta for TV and then game kids are going to go to Seattle. And then, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a weird network. And, and that's, what's great about talking to people online is, is seeing where people are at and where people are going and, and what they do. It's, it's always interesting to hear. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I mean, we've been doing this for about a half an hour now. Uh, Dude, yeah, this was seriously one of the most insightful talks that like I could have ever hoped to have gotten. Like, this is the first time we've ever hung out, like, other than an email or Instagram message. So, yeah, <laughs> I seriously cannot thank you enough for sharing all this information. And yeah, no problem. I'm I'm happy to answer any questions on things. Uh, I can go more in depth and a little bit more organized through email. <laughs> Sometimes I get a little scrambled in my words. No, everything you everything you said was super duper useful. And uh, I think a lot of people are going to be able to use this in whatever they're trying to do. So uh, before awesome. we sign off, is there anything else you want to talk about, mention things that you are doing, got going on? I don't think so. I think I'm good. I mean, follow me on Instagram. <laughs> but no, it's I really appreciate you bringing me on here. It's, uh, you know, I've been watching your short film with, with Tyre and the, and the progress you're making there. And it's, I'm, I'm really excited and, and being able to reach out and talk to you about things is, has been great. Like the internet is, is wonderful. Like you don't have to feel like you're the only person trying to struggle and make anything anymore. You can, you can talk to people and, and share stuff. So yes, I really we appreciate all, you. 
We are all individually sitting alone in our rooms making and drawing stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing has changed. Just now we can talk to people on the internet. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, Ethan, like I said, thank you again, buddy. Uh, this was great. I really, really appreciate you taking the time to talk. Yeah. Thank you very much. Really appreciate it. All right. Uh, thanks, everyone, for stopping by, and uh, we'll see you all next time. Hello there, artists and podcast fans. Holy cow, that was a great talk. A very special thank you to Ethan for sitting down and chatting with me. I really feel like this is going to help out a lot of aspiring young filmmakers. I cannot tell you how much I appreciate everyone out there listening. If you found this beneficial, please send this around. Tell a friend, tell your mom, tell your dog. I love doing these, and us artists just need some more stuff to listen to while we work. I can keep them going as long as I know that you guys want to listen to them. Leave a comment below with what you want to know and who you want to know it from. We all just want to learn. Thanks again, everyone. See you next time.